Hi, I'm Hani Fahim, the producer and host of Tales from the Opside. Before I tell today's tale, I want to thank you for listening. And thanks to everyone who's given me feedback so far. The check's in the mail. If you're enjoying the show, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on iTunes or your main podcasting app. As well, please consider mentioning Tales from the Opside to anyone you know who might like it. Now, what you've all been waiting for. from the Opside. I'm your host, Hani Fahim. Have you ever been hacked? Do you even know if you've been hacked? Over my career, I've been on the receiving end of a hack many times. Most of the time, one discovers that they were hacked well after the fact. According to IBM, on average, it takes anywhere from six to nine months for a company to even discover they were hacked. Most of the time is spent assessing damage and investigating how they got in to begin with. But what if you caught them red-handed, right in the middle of the act? I can tell you your day would look very different. The following tale takes place a very long time ago on a late summer's day. At the time, I was working as a low-level ops engineer for a tech company. My title was actually systems administrator, a precursor to ops engineer. I was young, green, and full of energy. The company had grown fast and organically over the last few years and was quite successful. Like most companies going through the same thing, there were growing pains. Lots of good initiatives for addressing the company's growth, but plenty of legacy issues. What the industry calls technical debt. We had an internal search tool that was used to look up valuable info needed on a day-to-day basis. It was by far the most widely used tool across the entire tech team. On one particular day, while working in the office, hmm, what's going on here? The search tool seemed to be very slow. This is not even slow. It's just not loading. Is anyone else having the same problem? Indeed, the problem appeared to affect everyone but no one knew why. Let me email the knock and see if there's a networking problem. Our company had a separate team situated in the data center called the Network Operations Center, or NOC. They were responsible for anything hardware related, such as networks or servers. No, nothing out of the ordinary. Looks like you'll need to look into it. All right, time to roll up them sleeves. Excited to be given the opportunity to troubleshoot, I began my investigation by logging into the web server that runs this search tool. One of the most basic internet infrastructures or stacks is what's called a two-server stack. One server is dedicated to serving internal traffic while a second server sits behind and runs the database. You can think of a web server as a coffee shop storefront where customers interact and a database as the back room or basement where all the goods are kept. Nothing out of the ordinary here. In fact, it's pretty quiet. Let me try the database server. This particular stack ran a MySQL database, which is a popular open source database system. Show process list. Databases work by users or applications issuing queries for data. By showing the process list, I was listing all active queries currently running. Wow, that's a huge backlog. Hundreds and hundreds of queries were all waiting their turn in line to execute. They all seem blocked. These are all simple queries, too. I scrolled to the top of the list to see who was holding up the line. That looks like some sort of backup process. Is anyone here taking a backup of the search tool? The answer was no. 
Since no one was claiming responsibility, I felt empowered to terminate that backup process. Okay, well, I did ask. Let's kill this process ID. Immediately, the backlog cleared. Ah, yes, the tool's back. We're all good, everyone. Or so I thought. Within a few minutes... Damn, it's down again? Without skipping a beat, I logged right back into the database server. That backup query is back. Okay, who's running this? Across the room, someone shouted out to just trace it. Oh, right. Why didn't I think of that? Tracing the source of the backup query. Oh, it's coming from the web server. That's weird. I didn't see anything running there the first time. Jumping back on the web server and continuing the trace. Oh, it's coming from Apache? Apache is the name of a popular web server software. It's one of the oldest around. Tracing this back to Apache means the backup was being initiated from inside a web application, which is extremely odd since there was no backup application installed on the system. Let me check the web logs. Well, this is not normal traffic. What are all these post requests to slash X? This was highly unusual. Let me look up this IP. Intermixed with what looked like legitimate traffic were requests to a page called slash X. We had no such page in our application. South Korea? This IP traces back to South Korea? Remember, this was an internal tool. There should be no traffic outside of Canada. Crap, uh, are we being hacked? Is, is this what it looks like? That perks some ears. Let me email the knock. We need to block this IP. In addition, it was apparent that this internal tool was available externally, albeit protected by password. I'm gonna send a company-wide email. Dear everyone, please note I'm going to lock down our search tool to internal traffic only. I will change the password as well. Please email me if you need it or have a problem. My palms became sweaty as I realized the magnitude of what took place. If they had waited until after hours, they probably would have gotten away with the whole database. It was time for lunch, but I wasn't very hungry. Still, I needed a change of scenery. I'm going for a walk. I'll be back in a bit. After circling the block for about 20 minutes, I came back to my desk to analyze those web logs and clean up the mess. When did this all start? Right at that moment, our monitoring system alerted us about high load from our main backup system. Well, what's this all about? It was a completely separate system, highly secured to internal traffic only, deep inside our data center. Anyone doing anything on the backup system? No one spoke up. It was clear I was on my own on this one. Okay, let me log in. The backup system ran Windows, which meant logging in via remote desktop. Successfully logged in, you're using two of two sessions. At the time, most Windows systems would allow a maximum of two sessions to log in at once. Who is one of two? Let me load up the task manager and see what's up. It was obvious what was happening. What the heck? Someone is trying to run a huge zip command to zip up the entire backup system. That's terabytes of data. Are we being hacked again? Let me email the NOC, see if they can trace this other connection. Using the network equipment, the NOC team was able to trace the IP. The IP is coming from your own office? Stunned, I leaned back in my chair and began scanning the room trying to look for any suspicious faces or beads of sweat. Most people are still out for lunch. Can you guys scan our local network and trace it to a particular system? Our networking setup was quite elaborate and powerful. Here is the IP. I recognize it. It's from the VP system. What the? Isn't he on vacation? From my chair, I had a direct line of sight to the VP's empty office. I'm going to go check it out. Can you guys shut down the backup server to prevent any more damage in the meantime? 
In his office, I turned on his monitor. Currently logged in. I thought all desktops are locked down to just our office, so he can't be logged in remotely. Maybe he forgot to log out before he left. In my head, I knew that couldn't be, as we had a corporate policy to automatically log out any idle system. Let me email him. I whipped out my BlackBerry. Yes, that, that's how long ago this took place, and emailed the VP. Within a few minutes, he called me directly. Ah, you're, you're by the beach, eh? <laughs> uh, listen, sir, did, did you forget to log out of your system before you left by any chance? He had not. However, he did mention that he asked the NOC team to add special rules to allow him remote access as he travels a lot. Okay, sir, I, I think someone's logged into your system. I think I need to change your password. Okay, that's fine, but email to me when you're done. I'm at the beach and don't have a pen on me. No problem. With my laptop, I sat in the VP's chair to continue investigating. Wow, this is cushy. I can get used to this. Right then, the VP screen popped up a message saying he was logged in. Again. But I literally just changed the password. Isn't he still at the beach? Not wanting to risk any further damage, I unplugged his computer. Wait, wait, wait. That's not how it happened. What do you mean? Dude, remember, I'm just a low-level ops guy at this point. I didn't just waltz in here and unplug the VP's computer. That's how I remember it. We're the same person. Remember, we called the VP like three times to ask permission. He got so annoyed at us and just told us to unplug it. Okay, fine. Stop exaggerating. We were terrified just being in his office without permission to begin with. Okay, whatever. Who's doing the storytelling here? Just get back to work. Mm-hmm. Exaggerating. Let's see if you like this. Right then, I leaned too far back in my chair and fell over. Oh, ow. And then I knocked over the prize Ming vase. It's <laughs> not funny, man. Okay, seriously, though. I sat there trying to put the pieces together of what was taking place when our monitoring system flooded our inbox with alerts. What now? Guys, what's going on? There were looks of panic and frustration on everyone's face. Everything looks down. I called the knock team. What? We're under attack? Back then, defending an attack usually involved a painful cycle of analyzing traffic and blocking IPs. Okay, I'm going to log into the firewall and send you IPs to block. I'm going to put you on speaker. It's Korean IPs again. What? It was true. Maybe we pissed them off because we cut off their access. Okay, I'm emailing you the first batch of IPs to block. This painstaking process went on for over an hour. There was no end in sight. I don't get it. Every time we add a new block, they stop using the old IPs and a new wave comes in. It's like they're a step ahead. Okay, anyway, I'm sending you the next batch. Wait, stop. Did you, did you block it yet? They had not. They just stopped using those IPs. Are, are they reading our emails? No, impossible. We just switched to that new email system. It's rock solid. Several months back, our entire organization switched to an outsourced state-of-the-art email system. I'm going to call them anyways. I'll, I'll talk to you later. I phoned our account representative in charge of our email system. So you don't see any unauthorized access? Can you help me explain what I'm seeing? Thinking for a minute, the account rep mentioned that during the email migration, there were some crazy forwarding rules our old system had that they couldn't set up on the new one. Mail forwarding? Let me check our MX records. MX stands for mail exchange. When you send an email, systems first need to look up the MX records to figure out where to deliver the message. Kind of like FedEx looking up your address to deliver your package. These records are pointed to us. This was odd. The records should point to the outsourced mail provider. But email's working. Wait, so all our mail is first coming to us, then somehow getting forwarded to you guys? Damn, okay, thanks for your help. 
What is this mail system? I attempted to log into this mysterious system. Whoa, I'm in. It's a Linux box. Looking around, it was clear it was configured as a mail system. This must be our old mail server. Asking around, no one even knew about its existence. Hmm, Apache is running as well. Recall that Apache is for serving web traffic, which seems out of place for a mail server. Let me try something. I copied the IP address of the system and pasted it into my browser. We typically connect to websites using names like google.com or facebook.com. Computers, however, don't use names to communicate. Instead, they use IP addresses. A lookup system called DNS does the translation of names to numbers, like your phone's contact list. By using the IP address directly in my browser, I was skipping this translation step, like dialing a number directly. Squirrel mail? What the heck is squirrel mail? These days, we're pretty used to checking for email in browsers like Gmail. This is called webmail. It's a web-based interface to mail. Back then, however, people were more used to using mail software like Outlook or Apple Mail or even on Blackberries. Squirrel Mail was an early iteration of Webmail and was initially set up when the company first started. Let me try logging in with my email credentials. Permission denied. Hmm. Remember, we were forced to change our password when we first switched to the new mail system? Oh, right. Let me try my old password. Oh, man, I'm in. It worked. There in front of me was every single email I had ever sent. I have a bad feeling about this. I pulled out my BlackBerry and sent myself a test message and began refreshing my browser. Within a few seconds, my test message appeared on the screen, but something was odd. This message is bolded. The new message was in bold font, indicating it was unread. This wouldn't be unusual except for the fact that every other message was marked as red. My pulse raced as I smashed the refresh button over and over. Oh my god. After about a minute, my test message was marked as red. They're reading our emails. Scrolling back through all the messages, I realized every single conversation I've had with the rest of the company was right there. You see, this was an era prior to instant messaging being mainstream. Oh man. This was the Blackberry era where all communication was over email. This is not good. You know the type where the entire body of a message is in the subject line? I can't believe this. I came across my emails to the NOC team listing the IPs to block. That's how they knew what we were blocking. Then my emails to the VP where I sent him his new desktop password. Oh my god. The emails about the backup server. And of course, my message about the search tool. I can't believe this. Let me email the NOC team. We need to called change. Them. What? Remember, emails compromised? You called them instead. Oh right, I called them. We need to change our MX records ASAP to point directly to the new mail provider and end this. They're reading all our messages. Lucky for us, this turned out to be the true source of the leak. Redirecting our MX records effectively stopped mail from flowing to this old system and cut off the hackers. This system is disgustingly compromised. It was not a well-monitored system, especially since we migrated. Post-analysis showed that the hackers were in this system reading every single email for over a year. Detailed network diagrams, specifications, documents detailing our security practices, many, many emails of employees sending themselves passwords to key systems because they were forgetful. It's a hacker's haven. And ultimately, an email from our VP asking our NOC team to allow remote access to his desktop. Come, let's go for a walk. Okay. No, not you. You never forget your first time. Almost every hack that I've ever read or been a part of was ultimately traced to some human error. In the tale I just told, an unsecure email server, the result of human negligence was really all the hackers needed to infiltrate. 
They just needed to sit back and wait for its own employees to divulge all its secrets. Humans really are the weakest link when it comes to security. As if the year 2020 wasn't turbulent enough, in mid-December it was revealed that a massive hack took place affecting many Fortune 500 companies and even the US government. This is probably the biggest and most successful hack that has ever taken place, at least that we know of. Nicknamed SolarGate, it's what's called a supply chain hack, where instead of hacking a target directly, you hack one of their suppliers. What all these entities had in common was the use of an IT management software suite from a Texas-based company called SolarWinds. They managed to compromise a piece of software called Orion, which is part of their suite of tools. But how did they do it? How do they manage to fool so many and infiltrate entities like the U.S. Department of Homeland Security or the U.S. National Nuclear Security Administration? Nuclear! This wasn't your run-of-the-mill, hey, I saw a picture of you online, click this attachment to see, email virus. This was sophistication of the highest order. Before any software can end up on a client system, it must pass through a series of security checkpoints. Modern operating systems are programmed to validate any software's authenticity, integrity, and validity before being installed. In order to end up on a system to begin with, it must be distributed by a secure update system. Before being distributed, it must be digitally signed in order to be validated later. Before being digitally signed, it must be securely built on a build system, a place where human-readable code gets converted or compiled to machine code. Before going through a build system, the code must be reviewed and tested and audited by humans. All of these layers are incredibly hard to penetrate, although not impossible. Like any good hacker, you focus on the weakest link. Fool the humans, not the machines. Evidence seems to suggest that one of Russia's intelligence agencies, the SVR, was behind this hack. As early as 2013, SolarWinds was touting its new Eastern European division, with offices in Belarus, Czech Republic, and Poland, locations Russia knows very well, and where portions of Orion are supposedly developed. In the case of SolarGate, the hacker's job was to insert malicious code side-by-side legitimate code and disguise it in such a way as to fool the humans to think one of their team members added it. They took special care to match the coding style as the rest of the code base. Like using innocuous sounding names like business improvement layer and organizing the code in the same structure as the rest. There's evidence to suggest that as early as October 2019, a full year before the revelation, the hackers were testing their ability to fool the humans by inserting dummy or harmless code and seeing if anyone would notice. Eventually, they replaced this dummy code with malicious code, and between March and June of 2020, SolarWinds pushed out several compromised updates to Orion across nearly 18,000 big-name organizations. It was perfectly authentic, as it came straight from SolarWinds. Its integrity was there, as SolarWinds built it themselves. And it was valid, as it had a shiny digital signature. By targeting the humans, they were able to completely sidestep the entire security stack, It was genius, really, albeit terrifying. It's hard to comprehend just how big SolarGate is, mainly because we really don't yet know how big it is. There's certainly no shortage of challenges and surprises in the online world. And I love it. If you're enjoying the series, be sure to subscribe with your favorite podcast app. I know you want to spread the word, so please give my show a five-star rating review and tell your friends to subscribe too. 
You can contact me with feedback or relevant questions or ideas via stack.io. That's S-T-A-C-K dot I-O. I'm Hani Fahim, and this is Tales from the Upside.